Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I am confident that my guest today might be the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> and I was first introduced to him through our mutual friend, Dan Modell. And as they say, the rest is history. I go back to our first convo, Doc, and I swear I kicked myself in the ass for not hitting the record button that first time we ever spoke, because that would literally be the best podcast ever. So we're going <laughs> to try to repeat that today. So a little bit of background for everybody. Here's a formal background. Dr. Simon Mills is a 35, has a 35-year track record of innovation and execution in startup and growth stage companies, both as a founder and an advisor. He is a serial entrepreneur and founding partner at Ignition Capital. You ready for this one? With a background in media, marketing, music, digital communications, advertising, software platform development, brand architecture, tech startups, enterprise software development, writing, web development, system design, graphic design, finance, and business. I think he knows a little bit about everything. He's a jack of all trades and a master of many. So enough of the fun formalities. Let's get to it. Dr. Simon Mills, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. A great pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, man, and I'm, and I'm happy to do this. So I just did this crazy formal introduction, but I would love if you could just take a minute, and we'll give it a minute, 90 seconds, and take us up to this point. We don't have to go through all the detail of all the amazing stuff you've done, but where the hell in the world do you come from, man? <laughs> I was born in Perth, Western Australia. Uh, I left at about, I don't know, 14 years old. My father got out of prison and took me on the road to teach me the trade of piano tuning and restoration. Um, learned a uh, lifetime of knowledge from him in in a in a short few years. Uh, became a, a musician, started touring in rock bands, uh, started a radio show, which um, became nationally syndicated, and then uh, that led to starting a jingle company that won the world's best jingle award. And, uh, I wrote my first book called How to Steal from Banks and Other Business Strategies and got it published in New York and my publisher wanted me to move to New York and do book tours. I said, that'd be ridiculous. I'm not that sort of writer. I eventually moved to New York, uh, this is about 15 years ago, and uh, started uh, uh, building innovative uh, technologies and companies and went into marketing and uh, started my own agency, went into business with CBS television, started raising capital, uh, multiple ven ventures and uh, started an investment bank uh, with the former CFO of Bloomberg and uh, now into the pandemic we've grown tenfold we've got 10 portfolio companies and uh, I think 90 seconds is up right I think there we go and, and listen guys I mean I could end the podcast here but and, and <laughs> but I'm not I want to go back to the days with your father we you did you like watch him with the pianos and always want to play like or was that something you were drawn to tell us a little bit about your musical roots I'm always curious 
Sure. Well, he was a musical genius, and uh, he was the musical director of Channel 7 in Australia, uh, which I realise you probably won't know what that means. But No it idea. A, it was a big deal, you know, and he could just arrange a 16-piece orchestra in his head from a cassette and write charts for everybody, hand out the music, and they'd play it, and they'd take back a chart and say, trombone uh, three, <laughs> you know. Correct it and hand it back. He was brilliant, and uh, but he was also a talented tradesman, and uh, and uh, Irish alcoholic genius, as I sometimes said. Um, eventually, uh, got into some legal trouble and uh, and and ended up on the wrong side of the law, which was a, a humorous story in itself. But yes, always surrounded by celebrities, musicians, because you know the the rehearsals for national television shows were taking place in my lounge room. That's uh, amazing. So there was always a musical influence. That's incredible. Do you have a, a, a fond memory? Let's take it back, you know, when you were young, maybe any, anywhere in that like 12, 13, 14 year age frame where your dad invited somebody into your house, maybe someone famous or not famous, but someone that had a real true influence musically on you and your style, your approach, maybe their swag, maybe the way they rolled in. Uh, well, there were, there were those over the years. He had left uh, my mother a lot earlier than that, so it was much more my younger years. And uh, and then we regrouped, you know, many years later when I was about 14 years old uh, and, and went on the road together. So the super early years, it was, you know, people like John Farnham or Johnny Farnham in those days and, uh, you know, became a, a legendary entertainer. Uh, he was just a local entertainer back in those days, but he was in my lounge room. And, uh, you know, Rolf Harris was there doing rehearsals and, uh, you know, okay, it didn't work out so well for Rolf reputa reputationally. But, <laughs> you know, th those are the kind of people that were passing through our, our lounge room when I was just a young fella. And, and what would you say, you know, is, is looking back on it now, like the, the, gr the greatest lesson that you learned from your dad that, you know, every day, you know, you're kind of like, uh-huh. Glad I picked that up from him. I, I could I could see a little bit of my dad in me right now. Um, you know the survival tactics. You know, he, he was an interesting fellow. You know we we we're on the road. Um, I'm, you know, before I had a driver's license, I'm driving this six-ton truck and twenty-two foot caravan, uh, and he's you know drinking beside me. And we're going through towns and picking up work as piano tuners and we'd advertise before we got to a place, we'd put an ad in the paper or whatever, or they'd do a story on us. So people knew we were coming across the Nanalabor, which is the, you know, the Route 66 of Australia. It, it literally means no trees. And uh, we would, there'd be sheep stations there that take two days to, to get through. And uh, you'd see a sign out said piano tuner stop here because we knew you know we, you know, we had yeah. pre had stories released in in advance. Um, so I mean survival. How, how to, I remember one time when we we had zero money left. Uh, we couldn't even put gas in the truck, and uh, we pulled into an army barracks and he just absolutely made up the whole thing. Took in a clipboard, said there was a uh, we got a message there was a piano to be tuned and. <laughs> And he just made the whole thing up, and uh, you know, he just he just played the chance that um, somewhere on an army base of thousands of people in the officers' mess, and it's going to be pianos, and someone will probably think we're there to tune it. And we did. We ended up having dinner in the officers' mess. We spent a day and a half <laughs> fixing two pianos on the base, and you know, and he just made the whole thing up with a clipboard. So what did I learn from him? Everything. <laughs> that's, am that's amazing. And have you written a book about your dad? 
Um, well, he's very much featured in How to Steal from Banks and Other Business Strategies, which, you know, I just called it that because um, it was an interesting title that people to put, uh, pick up because they don't like banks. But uh, yeah, it was it's an autobiography, really. I didn't actually steal anything from any banks, but uh, I invented a few things that are now illegal, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I mean, do you think do you think that was the early training for you to come into New York City 15 years ago? be able to be in the, in the in the big apple and all the vices and and you know listen you're a little bit different situation in life now than you were back then but new york is a special breed man listen i'm born and raised here i got it built into me but we take for granted when you know uh, immigrants come into our town <laughs> well no <laughs> doubt it was preparing me all the way i mean this is about the hardest city in the world to walk into and make and and make do and then do well it's um you know I was, I was well prepared, and it was still the biggest challenge of my life to leave Australia and come here. And I thought it was going to be easy. It was not easy. No, no, no not at all. I want to go back to the to the jingle side because uh, your your creativity oozes, even before you ran into this uh, interview running from the streets of New York. Um, let's go back to the to the agency days and tell us about the jingle. Tell about yeah. the award. Do you, let's, if you don't mind telling us, telling tell us the jingle. So, well, Jingles, I, I've always been a writer and a poet. And, you know, I started that before any of it when I was a kid and other kids were out doing kid stuff. I was in my bedroom writing poetry, which was a really uncool for a young man, uh, you know, who should have been out playing sport and doing all that stuff. Um, and so it's always been just inherently there it wasn't an option i had to write okay hmm. and uh rhyming just came naturally as part of the musical th thread in my dna so when we became um a syndicated radio show which was just you know musicians coming in at five o'clock in the morning from gigs you know uh in pretty uh, poor shape by inspired that time they, they were inspired <laughs> they were they were loose at that point that's right yes um and you know writing songs about whatever was the news headlines of that day and performing it on air and it became this big deal where it was more expensive to advertise in our slot than any other slot on the station and then it just went across the country and all of a sudden we were touring Creepy with radio is. stations um doing performances and we started selling jingles uh to, to all of the the advertisers on radio so we grew it into a business pretty quick smart and we loved it. I would ride in the bathtub, which was, you know, I'm earning $30,000 sitting in the bathtub. And uh, <laughs> this it was is amazing. great. <laughs> Someone's paying me to sit in my bathtub and write jingles. It was it was incredible. I mean, it all changed. And, and you know, I don't get to do that anymore. I still sit in the bathtub, but now I'm writing books. But um, it, it was good days where you could do that. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of work involved in going out and doing the performances and meeting and interviews and, you know, running the business of, of running a jingle company. But uh, writing the jingles was the great part that I really, really loved. And then we wrote a jingle that became the world's best jingle uh, through virtue of the fact that um, the International Broadcasting Awards uh, ran this competition called The World's Best. And it was in Hollywood, and we wrote this jingle for a uh, pet grooming firm called um, Hydro Dog, and, Hydro and Dog. that was it. That was the world. We, we won the award, and uh, I mean, you got to give us a jingle. Oh, sing the jingle. 
you, you could, you could, you could, you could, any way you want to uh, present it. Sure. You could modernize it for 2021. Oh, that, yeah, 30 years you could, ago. You could, put, you, could put a, you could put a reggae beat behind it. You could do whatever you want. <laughs> it went, a hundred dog dog is a happy, happy dog. He's feeling fine. He's a clean canine. Every dog he digs a hydro dog wash. What's a doggy do when he needs a shampoo and a clipping and a very special pat? Get on the dog and bone to Hydra Dog. He'll love it so much you'll be ringing us back. Hydra Dog Dog is a happy, happy dog. He's feeling fine. He's a clean canine. Everybody loves a Hydra Dog Dog. So See, they work. Do, you can remember it. I want, I want everybody who's listening here just to have this takeaway that you could be anything you want in life. That you could be anything... <laughs> <laughs> it all starts with inspiration. I mean, really, like the the creative spark, and you know, wherever wherever it comes from. Where where do you find you draw a lot of your creative inspiration these days? Uh, it's all around. I mean, buying buying groceries, you're surrounded by amazing things, amazing people. We're in New York City. I mean, amazing prices. We have people coming to dinner here that I couldn't dream of meeting. You know, back in Australia when I was not even planning to live in America. Uh, you know the the people that we know now that come and hang out are you know people I idolised. You know Libby DeVito. Uh, I I wrote his book with him. I mean his biography. I produced the book and and uh, and Billy Joel ended up writing the foreword for the book. And B Billy and Liberty got back together through this process that's, that's of producing amazing. this book. You know, and he's hanging out. And I saw him on stage. When I was a kid in Melbourne, uh, well, I, was, I guess I was what, 20, 20 years old or something in Melbourne and saw Billy Joel on Liberty DeVito. He was breaking titanium drum parts with wooden sticks. You know, uh, this guy was the best drummer I'd seen. And still to this day, I think he's the greatest drummer in rock history. Ooh, and, and, and he's sitting at my dinner table eating steak with me, you know. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, Billy, B Billy's incredible. I mean, I, as a Long Islander, I mean, Billy Joel's our, our god. I mean, he, he, Long Island is, is Billy Joel, and, and it's just incredible to see the global reach, um, you know, of, of some of these in, in, incredible musicians. And I, I've seen Liberty play. I've seen Billy Joel play for the last 25 years, um, you know, yeah. at various points in, in and out of Billy. And it's incredible that you're able to now be in a place in life where you can invite amazing folks from all different aspects of life, all different walks of life, different inspirations, and, and bring them to you. So I want to talk about the entrepreneurial bug. And I'm saying that very lightly. Was this something that you, you know, had going back to your dad, watching him operate like this whole idea of, listen, we got to figure out how to put food on the table. We got to figure out how to pay the bills. We got to figure out where money's coming from. Is that really the heart of the entrepreneurial spirit that you have now? Is that where it comes from? I think it's there or it's not. I mean, you know, you can't decide to be an entrepreneur, I don't think, and not to do it well lifelong. I mean, you might leave your job and decide to start a, a business or something, but I mean the the heart of the entrepreneur, the the ability to jump off the cliff and build an aeroplane on the way oh, down, which is I, I you know I say man. that all the time because it's true. I mean, we're tokenizing our publishing company at the moment. Was I, I was signed to the publishing company? We ended, we ended up investing in it and and taking it in as our, our portfolio company in our investment bank, and we decided we would tokenize it, which means every hardcover book in the company will be a token on the NFT, right? We're talking uh, NFT, yes. folks. Yep. Essentially NFT, and uh, there's a lot in that discussion alone. We can talk oh, yeah. for hours just about that. We are not getting into that on this show, but right, yes, right. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
But that you know, I had done it before. I built blockchain-based companies, and I knew what to do. And to overlay that on a publishing company and be the first publishing company in the world to have tokenized books, meaning that you scan the token in the book and and you claim it in a digital wallet, and that can go up and down in value uh, over time, and creates a secondary market yep. for for the for the book when it gets sold. The author gets paid again. I'll stop there because I'm not even supposed to talk about that. But the bottom line is. <laughs> I've actually put it into 250,000 books that are being printed right now in Hong Kong, and I haven't built the technology on the back end of it yet. So it, that's what I mean by and jumping that, off a cliff and building a plane on the way I, down. I, I was about to say, like, that's a mindset, right? And, and, I, and I feel it myself over the last few years launching my, I've always had this in me, and I just needed to break out of that shell, and everything flows after that. It was always in me, it was always in me, and, 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 I love, yeah. and that's why I think you and I are connecting, because I, I get this energy from you, Doc, like, it inspires me. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm just jumping on the phone with him. I'm not even doing it. I'm like, we're just going to do it. And she's like, yeah, like, go for it. Um, <laughs> how did how'd you get hooked up with Kevin Costner? Oh, so he was our first client in the investment bank. And it was actually through Ruth McCartney. So Paul McCartney's sister and, uh, and stepmother, Angie McCartney, are very close friends of our family, who we met through Australian rock legend Brian Cadd. Yeah. So it all comes back to the musical roots of the Australian scene. Uh, so I ended up, you know, becoming really good friends with the McCartneys and they called one day and they run a digital business and websites for all sorts of famous people from John Cleese to who knows who else. And uh, said, oh, there's this, um, you know, Kevin Costner and these two founders, Bill Whirl and Woody Sears, have got this uh, app idea and this is the former CFO of North Face and Woody Sears had multiple exits in other digital app companies. Right. Um, and uh, we, you know, do you want to take a look at it? I said, well, what's it all about? Well, you're driving down the road and you look out the window and it's geo-triggered. So Kevin Costner's voice starts speaking about whatever's outside the window. And it's, <laughs> the app's called Hear Hear. Uh, and it's now launched, you know, a million dollars raised, and uh, we, we took it on as our investment bank. This is the first deal in our investment and, bank. And, and let's just put a timestamp on this, because this was pre-pandemic. This is before everyone re fell in love again with the United States and doing cross-country travel. So I'll give you a quick 10,000-foot uh, view of how Ignition Capital came into being. I was working for a consulting firm, a management consulting firm, strategy execution consulting, turning it around, making, uh, turning it around, making it uh, scalable and so forth. We were at a gig in Philadelphia doing a CEO conference and I met uh, Jacqueline Kapoor, the then divisional CFO at Bloomberg. And we got on really well, and she wanted to start making a move from Bloomberg and uh, be, you know, become an entrepreneur. She'd always had this. She, she'd been trained by Bloomberg, who's, uh, you know, of course, uh, an exceptional entrepreneur and, and businessman. And we, we just hit it off, and uh, we started talking about how we could take a startup, get it to investability with this remarkable financial credibility uh, that came with her pedigree. And my innovation and, you know, street smart, scrappy, deal-making, raise make, the capital. Make shit happen. Make shit thing. happen. Yeah, put it together and give the startup something that they, they can never afford. You know, you can't hire a, a six-figure, almost seven-figure CFO uh, in your startup. But if you do it for 10 companies or 20 companies, you can do it. 
and uh, we, we, we did that and I had this introduction already playing out and we went in, closed that deal and all of a sudden our first client is here, here with Kevin Costner. So a great foundation to, to begin a company and then the pandemic hit and we just, it was really good for us. I mean, uh, no uh, two ways about it. We did very well through that time. It was very conducive to the way that I do business and, and uh, the way that I interact with people. I'm very comfortable being a recluse and never leaving the house and building relationships is is absolutely uh, an ability that I have remotely. In fact, we've just been working with our with a non-profit foundation and we hadn't met all of the people in the foundation. We just spent two days out on Long Island at a horse stable and met all the people including congressmen and, and, and all sorts of incredible people from all walks of life. We feel like we there was no difference in the relationship that we built on screen there's the being in person and and that's a really interesting um point to kind of unpack a little bit i mean for someone who has built a lifetime of incredible relationships built in person breaking mm. bread having a drink incredible conversations to take that all of a sudden remote and you enjoy being a recluse i mean looking back on it was this like holy shit i've been waiting for this day my entire life i don't have to go that's anywhere exactly what it was. <laughs> i don't have to go anywhere yeah. <laughs> it was just license for, for everyone else being forced to do business the way that I'd like to. And, and I could never have made this happen. You know, you can't, I mean, before the pandemic, I was what? trying to influence people to come out and do meetings with me while walking in Central Park uh, instead of a, uh, you know, sitting in a bar or having a restaurant meal or whatever. Um, and I could never get that really across the line. But this was just gold to me. It worked perfectly. Oh, I, I love it. So let's spend a couple minutes, and, and I want to unpack Sir Rhymes a lot because <laughs> I was privy, and, and thank you. Thank you for a couple of things. Let me, let me take a little gratitude moment here, Doc. Thank you for introducing me to the governor. Um, oh, of course. I, I, it was, for me, it was an incredible exercise for me in, as far as interview preparation and research because when you have an opportunity to interview somebody with, with, with that kind of uh, resume, for lack of a better word, with that kind of life world experience, I, I had to do my work. I had to put in the work to make yeah. sure it was a great interview. And I did. And I got early access to his book. And the book is incredible. It wasn't like some bullshit crappy book that I had to read. I mean, the stories in there are life-changing. I mean, we're talking about Muhammad Ali. We're talk his, his, his chapters on President Clinton and Trump are my favorite. Like, they, are, <laughs> they, are, they are my favorite. And there's a piece in there he says about like Bill Clinton, and I talked about it on the interview, where he was not... not attracted to bill clinton in a, in a non-sexual way but he, like there's a charisma about bill clinton that he talks about that's contagious and it's yeah. amazing to hear that and to hear yeah. those stories from him so, so thank you um thank you for that My opportunity pleasure. it was really incredible and i'll link everybody up to that show uh definitely episode 99 quick little plug there but let's let's talk about sir rhymes a lot was was the where did the concept come and the in the core the core concept come from and and unpack that a little bit for everybody following at home Absolutely. My, my publisher, uh, Steve Wilson, uh, who started a company called Imagine and Wonder, uh, which started in the pandemic, he moved from a transition from a job with a Japanese publisher called Gakken, but he'd been in major publishing companies all his life, including starting um, uh, Hal Leonard in the UK. Um, and uh, he always wanted to bring my books into his publishing companies, but they never quite fit. And when he started his own firm, he said, I'm going to sign you, uh, but I don't want to call it the Dr. Mills children's book thing. I don't want to be uh, also ran with Dr. Seuss. Yeah, you have the doctor thing. You can't be doing that. 
That's right, and, and that's cool. I mean, and I saw an opportunity to go. Well, if we just create some fictional character, and then I don't have enough to go to the interviews, I can just send somebody else, so that I know who I am. You were thinking five steps ahead, <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't a fan of that. But so rhymes a lot just came about by this back and forth with uh, he and I, and uh, you know, the, the the rhyming is an integral part of these books telling the story, communicating really musically because the, the, the pulse and meter the cadence, of the, yeah. the rhyming verse is, is musically based. And I've taken it one step further, incidentally, into visually um, introducing this rhyming aid so that colour delineates where the emphasis goes the on each line. Yeah, so where's beat one while you're reading it? And I thought it was just... Uh, simple. It just came about because I'm talking to Steve, and he said, "Well, this doesn't rhyme here. This the meter doesn't work." And I said, "Yeah, it does. Start it on word three. He goes, "Well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you tell him that?" I said, "Well, we'll change the color," and and I did, and and we gave it to this literary, uh, this child literacy expert, and they said, "This is incredible. I mean, children, child literacy." Uh, goes very well with rhyming but this is another thing this is another level above that you've created here that nobody's ever come up with i said what color mm. <laughs> and, and, but it worked you know so anyway so rhymes sometimes, a lot. sometimes the simplest things are overlooked and exactly that's where the best inventions come from you just create them from necessity so uh, there he was, Sir Rhymes A Lot was born and uh, the next layer of that is why don't we make a franchise that anybody can write for. So, you know, imagine if you could have written a Dr. Seuss book. Anyone could have written a Dr. Seuss book because everybody writes stories now in a Dr. Seuss-esque style. Uh, why, why, let's do that. So, so rhymes a lot now. We're going to start taking submissions uh, or the publisher will start, start taking submissions uh, for Sir Rhymes A Lot books. So Alison, 11 years old, can be a Sir Rhymes A Lot author. Um, and it goes beyond me, which is great because my name's not even on the books. It just says Sir Rhymes a lot. So Sir Rhymes a lot is something that's inside of everybody and anybody. Y yes, to put it into this format, take what your what your creative communication is. What do you want to say in you know to the world through this medium, uh, and write it in the style of Sir Rhymes a lot. The publisher will have it illustrated, or you will, or maybe the uh, the author themselves is an illustrator. Changing, but... changing the game. Changing yeah. The... And who, who, do you have any, like, I'm going to dig in a little bit. Let's dig into Dr. Simon Mill's hip-hop knowledge here. <laughs> let's take it back a little bit. Who, who I have very limited hip-hop knowledge. Okay, so, so, but let's take it back here. Who, who would you love? You know, Fine, no hip-hop. Let's take it anyone, anyone in, from the world of music. Who would you love to do a book? Who would you love to hear someone's interpretation and someone to dig in and write their own doc, uh, Sir Rhymes A Lot book? Oh, um, well, you know, Billy is the obvious choice because Billy was one of my greatest influences as a piano player. <sighs> just the way that he puts chords with bass lines on piano was just the leading source of inspiration for me as a piano player. You know, beyond the early years of my father, <laughs> what I really followed was Billy. So, so, so riff, on, riff on Billy for a moment here. Give me top three Billy songs. Top three? Well, you've got to have, you know. Um... That one. 
seems, that's uh, that seems from an Italian restaurant, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> just happened to have a piano standing. Well, you by. have eight, well, you told you in your notes you have eight pianos in your apartment, two per person. I mean, there's literally a piano at reach for everybody. Just like well, I have a bo- just like I have a bottle of of alcohol within reach of anything on my. Sh- I'm a de- I'm a terrible degenerate. I can't wait till we break bread in person. I'm, 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 <laughs> I told my wife I go one day we're gonna get that invite and we're gonna we're gonna show up and it's gonna be the most interesting night of our life and I promise you that. Billy, yeah. but Billy, Billy, but like even Billy's journey. If you riff on Billy's journey, if you look at his entire catalog, like ah, oh, the the range and the story. It's his life. It's literally yeah. his biography. Yeah, brilliant. And in Liberty's book, what I discovered was the whole backstory of how those songs really came together from from somebody else's. I'd heard those from Billy Joel's stories. But um, uh, from Liberty's perspective, if you listen to Say Goodbye to Hollywood, right at the end, there's a piece where he's where Billy's recording vocal tracks and he's yelling out, hey, DeVito, where are you going? And DeVito was just going to the bathroom and uh, <laughs> Billy's yelling out to him and it was on the track. So they left it in there because Billy thought it sounded like New York. Um, you know, cool stuff like that. But, you know, how those songs got formed from Billy writing this thing that kind of, it's okay, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Liberty would go, yeah, that's great. You've written another Neil Diamond song or uh, whatever. Uh, you know, you, he goes, damn it, I knew it was familiar. Um, you know, to hear this backstory of those things is quite incredible. And Liberty was just as involved as everybody else, you know, at, at having those songs turn out to what they actually became. I mean, so what, what era Billy is your favorite? Oh, I don't have a... It's, well, it's, I mean, it's the, hard. No, the, well... He the had a couple of weird... Like, the poppy, I, don't, I don't like the poppy stuff. You know, some of the poppy stuff I don't like too much. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I love all, all of it. I have no... Um, but the, the, the things that really influenced me, the, um, you know, Stiletto and uh, New York State of Mind and uh, Angry Young Man. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the one where we went to the garden and uh, my oh. son saw Billy play that for the first time. And he's seen me play it. It didn't inspire him all that much. But when he saw Billy doing that, he became a piano player. And, and my son, Deco, is a, is a remarkable piano player. And he's going to be a professional musician if he's not already. Um, it's through that, you know. That's, it's amazing. I mean, my, my album is, is not a common one. I love River of Dreams, 1993 River of Dreams. Mm. And that is a very rhymy album. And to this day, with my children, my daughter's nine, my son is uh, almost three. Um, I sing a lullaby based on that. I go, good night, my Ollie, time to close your eyes and yeah. save your troubles for another day. That's, in, that's from River of Dreams. And yes. it influenced me and my kids sing it every night and they want that song. Like Billy, Billy is part of all of us. So let's switch gears for a moment here before we bring it home. Let's talk, this, this one fascinated me. I'm very curious. Talk to me a little bit about the, the Plasma Venture that you're working with Drexel University. And I believe you're testing with Pepsi to purify their, their bottles. Tell us a little bit more about that. That's fascinating. Yeah, we got into the uh, into plasma technology a little while back, started doing some experiments and uh, the Drexel were doing some amazing things. And there's nothing new about plasma technology, really, except it's never, it's never been adopted or commercialized um, in ways that it should be. And it has um, advantages in the medical space, in water purification, in, in growing food, right. um, the fourth state of matter. Um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about it over the years and, and it's like sitting down with a table of Einsteins and, uh, you feel like the, 
the idiot in the room, but uh, you know, we're, we're there to commercialize what they know, and uh, absolutely fascinating. But what we discovered and what was taught to us is using plasma affected water, you can uh, kill pathogens uh, that, that normally take out plants in, in uh, systemic environments. Um, in growing, um, you know, uh, out in, in fields, there's there's ways to decrease fertilizer and chemical use, or eliminate it completely. So you know, we, we're we're going through the process at the moment of testing how, uh, with hemp and and how to germinate seeds and have exponentially increased germination and plant sustainability and uh, you know without ha having um, negative effects of fertilizers and uh, other chemicals. Fascinating. It sounds. It sounds like you. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You have a real love of learning. Yes, I was taught by uh, Dr. Henry Anderson. I think the most important thing I learned from him, the founder and uh, the chancellor of City University, Los Angeles, where I obtained my uh, business doctorate. And uh, he taught me that um, you know degrees are, are not where are not what you're chasing. You know, I was talking about doing a medical degree at one point, and he said, "Well, why?" Uh, he said, "Are you going to be operating on people?" I said, "No, I never. I hope never to talk to a patient if I become <laughs> a medical doctor." And he, I said, "It's just medical research and my love of uh, understanding. You know, that level of." Um, uh, human anatomy and so forth and he said well if you just want to learn it you just go and learn it you don't have to enroll into uh, NYU and, and pay all that money <laughs> you learn you learn what you want to learn and that was just I mean it seems very simple but it was an epiphany for me and I can learn anything I want and now uh, Dr. Anderson has died and I am the acting chancellor but you know who's going to be the chancellor of City mm -hmm. University Los Angeles or CULA.edu let me guess Governor David Patterson. <laughs> oh, sorry. You said let me guess, and I didn't let you guess. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of shitty game show is this? You, you, I don't, you would not make a good game. I thought at first you'd maybe like. I know I'd be a good game show host. You would not be because you like. But you, Jeopardy, you know like you, you would not be the. You're not the next Alex Trebek. So let's just make sure no, we know that here. So I mean, listen. I I could literally spend three hours going through this list and go through every single thing that you've done here. But like, what's what's next on the horizon? And we're not talking specifics here. But is there a certain area, uh, maybe maybe something that came up during the pandemic? Maybe you saw, an, maybe you see a need for it. But what's what? What are you going to tackle next? Yeah, it's education uh, for one. I, I was asking, I was asked in an interview only a few days ago, um, what I would do if I had unlimited resources. That's and a good I said, I'd just keep on writing books until the money runs out. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I would continue certain things. One of them is the whole rewilding Canna Foundation piece. The other is just writing. I just, I'm so passionate about writing and that whole medium is remarkable. Uh, the science, the innovation, but education is what's come to light in the pandemic uh, for me. And I saw it straight away when my daughter was so upset about not being able to go to school anymore. And I said, this is a huge opportunity and, uh, you know, to, to let the idea of learning in different ways uh, permeate and ferment and that's exactly what happened is now open there's there is a six billion dollar company called Coursera 
which is a MOOC, yep. a massive mm-hmm. online open um, course, uh, or series of courses. I know them obviously. well. Yeah, so um, with CULA, the reinvention of CULA, which is a dormant university at this point, we have the opportunity to create something brand new, a new platform. That's what we've been studying, and the pandemic has given us license to build something new and creative in that world. And what we're looking at is something like Coursera, but making it available for minorities at a much lower cost. So this whole idea of having a university education without having to pay for it for the rest of your life uh, and even earn money while you're doing it, that's that's a, a, an area worth exploring that I just love because I, I like learn it every day. I'm just All I want to do is learn. And it's fascinating. The people like yourself that could actually affect change, that have the means, that have the connections, that they have the ability to do so, focusing, niching down. That's a big lesson for everybody, niching down on one core thing that you could affect. Let me ask you this. Looking back now, looking in that rearview mirror, Doc, you're looking in that rearview mirror, what was that biggest failure, not life failure, career failure, business failure, that you look back <laughs> on and you say, thank fucking God that that was a nuclear implosion because looking back on it now X amount of years later, I am thankful that that happened to me. Um, I have a lot of those, actually, and I've had, I've had more failures than successes, no question. Um, Sign I, of a true think- entrepreneur. The, 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 the real estate venture I did with CBS television was really an intriguing one. I made so many mistakes in this, but I also just lucked into the most incredible journey and created a real estate platform when it was illegal to do so in the way that we were doing it. And I, I got a law of the virtual office website um, ruling when the Department of Justice sued the National Association of Realtors for a restraint of trade. And I bent it into my, uh, you know, into my model and, uh, and and was able to build a ubiquitous real estate portal uh, with all of the MLSs aggregated into one place with 30,000 real estate agents across the country and then insert it into CBS's website. Uh, right at the time that, that Zillow was uh, forming, they started a little earlier than I did, yeah. but they yeah. couldn't be transactional. I was able to be transactional, and that's the that's the law that I navigated and found a loophole. Circumvented. In. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, fortunately, um, CBS brought in a new head uh, uh, operator, the digital operator, and he wanted me to do something completely different, and... Uh, and, and I said, that's fine. The 1.5 million that we've already invested, just give it back to us and we'll, we'll build whatever you want. But I don't want to build that thing that you want to build. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. And uh, that was the end of that. Um, and uh, I, I'm very glad that that happened. I went and did it with other, uh, other media companies and grew it into something else. And we exited that. And, uh, and, but, and, uh, right, like you don't know in that moment. You don't know when that's going down the toilet bowl. That you no. look back on that and be like, wow, we are well, onto the, something here. And that was meant to be. The point that I knew that deal was done was, you know, I spent my whole life promoting what I was doing because that's the life of the entrepreneur. When I went into business with CBS, uh, I got a call from, I think, Cranes. They wanted to do a story. And I told them the whole story and they put it in there. And then Fox Business was calling all these other real estate people for opinions because they were going to do a story on it the next day. And CBS called me and said, did you talk to Cranes? <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. They said, 
we don't talk to the media. So what do you mean? Uh-huh. I'm an entrepreneur. I talk to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> what you do? No, 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 no. And, and the next day, um, Standard and Pause and somebody that I knew, Nancy Pax, was representing my side of the argument uh, in in real estate. And uh, the CBS stock price was on the screen going down because CBS television was going into the real estate business. And at this time, the president of CBS was in, in the hospital with his wife who was giving birth. And on the screen, he's watching the stock price go down and it, it making the call going, who the hell is Simon Mills? And why is he saying we're in the real estate business with him? Because we had built the local version, but they were behaving like it was already the national version because I told Cranes that that was the plan. Oh and it was the plan, but CBS apparently didn't know that. So you're responsible. You're responsible for tanking businesses. Global conglomerate. Well done. Well done. To, to know that you have that effect on people. So Doc, let's bring it home here. Let's bring it home here. This show is my masterclass. This show is my MBA. This show is my doctor because I get to talk, not just talk to amazing people like you, but be connected. And and I think we definitely we we, we have a connection. I, and I am really looking forward soon to to breaking bread with you and and shooting the shit and really getting into it. But let me ask you this. What is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received in your entire life that you take action on every single day? <laughs> uh, do what's right and don't run out of money was one of my favorites, um, <laughs> which I think was the, uh, the founder of Gracious Home said that. But um, no, uh, um, my, my Like your mantra, power, when you wake up in the morning, uh, what do you... Yeah, well, my superpower is, is ignorance of my limitations. Because if I knew how hard something was going to be, and if I knew that how how ignorant I was on a certain subject, I I would not attempt it. And that is a clarity that other people have that I do not possess. And and so ignoring Tremendous. that, ignoring what everybody says around you about something not working, everybody's always. Uh, doing focus groups to find out what other people think. What other people think is not what's important. What's in your heart. If you think you can get it done, it should be in the world. That's the thing that I want to do. And asking other people's opinions that they would be inventing it if they could. Steve Jobs was, was beautiful at it when he said, um, people don't know what they want until you give it to them. And then that is exactly it. You're an innovator. You can't share that with anybody else. You have to build it and see if it works. I love that. I absolutely love that. And let's talk about the pandemic for a little bit here. Like, obviously, there's been incredible amounts of global destruction, people's lives ruined, death, illness. I mean, it, we're literally living through a fucking plague. It's like the Passover Seder here every single day. But there's been good. And we like to call those silver linings. I'd love if you could share a couple of silver linings that you've experienced over the last year and a half, professionally, per- personally, whatever's in your heart. Yeah. Aside from being I mean, a recluse and this being your dream come true. <laughs> yes. Aside from that, uh, no, I, I think it's just like been... a global apocalypse to make you feel comfortable in your own nice New York City apartment. That's right. Aside from the death and destruction, there has been great things. I mean, we grew a company um, out of nothing and in in this strange soil that we're growing it in, uh, but it turned out to be a, the perfect environment for it. Uh, I think families have learned a lot about you know the, themselves. Our family certainly has uh, things came to the surface that have ended up in a wonderful place that never you know perhaps never would have come this way when you're all in close quarters and you're every day with each other. Um, you get to see a lot more and be aware of a lot more and change the way that you approach things perhaps 
that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of people coming out of it that are not staying together. Um, oh, that's a dark maybe time. that's a good thing for them. Maybe that's brought that to the surface earlier than it would have. And uh, they, they now have realized that they're going to take advantage of the rest of their life and they're maybe in the wrong place, whatever. I, I've seen it. We just had a lunch today, one of the first lunches uh, back out in the world, which, uh, you know, I struggled with. <laughs> Uh, but you know, oh, well, all my friends are getting divorced. <laughs> so that's interesting. But I think that it's shaken things up, and new good things are coming out of it. There's breath. better ways to work. There's better ways to not commute. You know, to, let's not, you know, collectively in an organisation of thousands of people, you're wasting tens of thousands of hours. Just getting people, Time. moving them around Carbon to, be, to be less productive. Because when they're together, they're actually less productive. Times There's times where they need to be together and make that time productive and count. great things come out of that. But you don't have to do it every day. That's it. That That's it. That's the takeaway here. That's exactly. Let's synthesize this here, everybody. It's just, we, we came out of this as far as a new way to work is maximize the collaboration time as necessary. Eliminate the unnecessary time, increase productivity, better for the environment, better for everybody else. Give people the option. Give people the flexibility. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. We have this new relationship with Canna Foundation and they're our client and partner and uh, it's all about rewilding and uh, native uh, American species being the wild horse. Uh, it's currently called an invasive species, but it's actually a, a native American species and we can prove that now. Uh, but but Canna Foundation has this wonderful um, facility out on Long Island with a stable with 12 stalls and uh, this this uh, amazing place to run corporate retreats. So we're launching that right now and you can go out uh, for your corporate retreat, your off-site, whatever you Outdoors, call it in your company. Yeah. Get, get together with 20, 30 people, stay in teepees, hang with horses, be educated on what rewilding is. So rewilding your company, bringing it back to a natural state, whether it's a personal natural state, eating properly, whatever. Um, rewilding is a, is a term that everyone's going to start hearing now more and more. Leonardo DiCaprio has just gotten into a new organization called Rewild. And it's this process. So one of the books that's coming out this year in the publishing company is called Born to Rewild with Manda Kalimian. And I worked on the book and it brought us into Canna Foundation and educated us on that. But again, this, this, this pandemic has shown us, bringing us back. Pandemics are a result also of taking a native species out and not being respectful of the biodiversity. Uh, all of this plays into it. I won't get into the science now. We work with some pretty heavy scientists uh, that explain this beautifully. And maybe you could interview those guys because they're remarkable. Boy, I got to <laughs> so, do some research for that one. Yeah, I just did a book called Cello, came, uh, Cello Comes Home with the curator of zoology and paleontology uh, and mammalogy of the American um, Natural History Museum at the American Natural History Museum, Dr. Ross McPhee. And uh, he teaches me every time I'm sitting next to him. I happen to be sitting next to him for the last two days and uh, just you know, ask him any question. Osmosis, osmosis. It's amazing, oh, man, what it. happens, what you learn from these knowledgeable people. Uh, just listen, it's listen, open your ears, people listen. So, Doc, let's bring it home here. Let's bring it home here. 
You've had a fascinating life and career. And when you look back on it and you look at those moments when maybe things weren't so good early on at any point in your life and you had to dig down deep and really, really harness that fire and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and pull you forward. And the same breath, we're sitting here right now. Life is good. Family, health, business, success. And you want to show gratitude. Dr. Simon Mills, what is your compass? What is your North Star? Wow. I think there's seven questions in there. There's really one question. What is your drive in life? What is your focus? What motivates you? What is your why? Yeah. And, you know, I, when I sit and I write, I learn about myself. And what I learn when I'm doing this, this conversation with myself in this writing process is exactly that. Why am I doing this? Because the process of writing is one thing, but there's got to be an end in sight. There's got to be a reason for the for the writing, apart from the therapy that I'm giving myself by writing. And, you know, I, I get great joy from working on anything that I feel has ended the day, leaving the world in some other state. And, I, and it might be just my small world around me. And, and, and other days, uh, it, it might be something more significant. But having achieved something that I feel is additive, I, I just it hits me as being completely and absolutely fulfilling that I am, I am achieving something that is good, that's changing things for better because there's so much that goes against that. You're fighting this insurmountable battle constantly with greed and, and just people who want to, and organizations that want to counter that and for their own good and going against that using creativity, I feel is putting good force back into it to to guide the world and, and if and if other people see that and see the results of that it will educate them so that's it in my convoluted way of getting to whatever point that is <laughs> that's how i feel about it dr simon mills i want to thank you for joining us today this has been uh incredible for me and i hope everyone listening to this has enjoyed this journey it Dr. Mills is a in incredible human. He's fascinating story. You can find out more. You can check out uh, more at, at simonmills.com. That's two L's at the end of that, right? Two L's. I might have to uh, update that sometime. Yeah. I think it's five years out of date. But oh, yes, man. You did that. <laughs> Into that 1.0. Uh, check out Ignition Capital. Where else? Where else do you want to send people? What else should they be checking yeah, out? Yeah. Well, ignitioncapital.co is great. Um, but uh, Canna Foundation is our newest venture and uh, doing great work. Imagineandwonder.com is the publishing Check company. Check out Rhymes a lot. Yeah. Well, well ignitioncapital.co is the source of all of our activities. <laughs> so, you know, that you can, you can see everything there as to all of our portfolio companies and things we're involved in or just reach out to me by any of those places and uh you know we'll do what we can unbelievable dr simon mills thank you for joining me today on the podcast hang with me for a moment here as we sign off and everyone listening i hope you enjoy this trip that we just took down uh, dr simon mills road over here uh always fascinating always incredible if this show resonated with you please leave a review a rating it goes a long way share it sharing means caring maybe i'll write a rhymes a lot book with my kids because i'm inspired here yeah, remember sure. everyone out there take care of each other take care of each other remember there's other people in this universe that you have to look out for you know where to find us at the for more and
catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.